There are two things in this world that fill my mind with ever new and increasing admiration and awe. The more often and steadily we reflect upon them, the starry heavens above me and the moral law within me. I do not seek or conjecture either of them as if they were veiled obscurities or extravagances beyond the horizon of my vision. I see them before me and connect them immediately with the consciousness of my existence as I embrace the void. Pathetic earthlings, hurling your bodies out into the void without the slightest inkling of who or what is out here. life just some kind of horrific joke without a punchline that we're all just biding our time until the sweet sweet release of death no don't save riley <laughs> take her to the moon for me okay Welcome, friends, to another episode of Embrace the Void, where the beatings will continue until meta-ethics improves. I am your host, Aaron Rubinowitz, as always, and my returning guest this week is the indefatigable Chris Kavanaugh, a cognitive anthropologist working at the psychology department at Rikyo University in Japan. More importantly, Chris is the co-host of the Decoding the Gurus podcast, where him and his senior colleague, Matt Brown, basically harass sense makers, I think is some sort of penance. Chris, would you like to say hi to the void? Hello, void. Yes. And and myself and Matt too, but you got his name wrong, Aaron. It's Matthew Smith, not Brian. Just, <laughs> I want to correct that for the record. You know, I can only fit so many inside jokes into one intro. <laughs> you have the distinguished dishonor, I guess, of now probably having strongly secured the lead as most returning to embrace the void to experience additional philosophical suffering. So, you know, I just want to lay this out here. I'm going to troll you nonstop throughout this, but I want everyone to understand it is a loving trolling. Uh, I, I think that Chris is a great person and merely because his views are deeply wrong about certain things does not mean that you shouldn't enjoy him and his content. Yeah, I'm dying for that. Yeah, I will also say that I don't think it's by popular demand. <laughs> I think it's by your argumentative nature that I'm here for the third time. So, but last time we, I think in general, we are actually pretty much in agreement on the other topics that we were talking about, you know, broadly. We have for a long time been trying to find something that we strongly disagreed about, and we have generally failed to do so until this moment. We have previously talked about the nature of religion, which was a really good conversation people should go back and listen yeah. to, which is a lot more in your wheelhouse. But now uh, you're in for a paddling <laughs> here in my wheelhouse. Yeah. Do you want to explain to folks which of your many, many sins has landed you back in my office? Yeah. Well, I can tell you what I think it is. <laughs> and okay. you can correct me if I'm wrong. When? When you're wrong. We recently did an episode talking about the reaction to Yuval Noah Harari, who had a little clip go viral where he was talking about a variety of things. But in his talk, he referenced rights, human rights, and them being a fiction. 
Uh, and he, he compared a whole bunch of things to fictions like nations and stuff. And, and basically saying that these are not things like rocks and mountains and objective things that exist in the world. And it's fair to say that he got negative feedback on this video from a bunch of different quarters for different reasons. But philosophers in particular were kind of annoyed by the things that he said about um, rights and ethics. And other people were annoyed because he they took him to be kind of saying that human rights aren't important. And he's kind of a villain in the right wing conspiracy world. He's, you know, mm-hmm. one of George mm-hmm. Soros's mm-hmm. agents. So uh, that's mm-hmm. why the clip surfaced, because it's an old TED talk. It's like from 2014 or something like that. But but that uh, I think philosophers were annoyed for a different reason. And we did an episode where essentially we poked fun at the various people reacting to Harari because we find his argument to be fairly mundane and non-objectionable. And and yes, so we essentially agree with a bunch of the things that he said about the kind of coherence that rights don't exist without human culture. And this being a non-controversial point for most sensible people. (laughs) right and to be fair it wasn't merely that you made that episode prior to making it you messaged me on twitter dms to be like hey all these philosophers are being terrible can you agree with me that they're terrible and then we're unhappy when i did not in fact agree with you that they were terrible uh but instead explained to you why you were wrong you you turned out that you were one of them (laughs) shockingly i did not turn against the philosopher tribe on that one buddy (laughs) I don't know how you didn't see that one coming, given your anthropological background, but sure. <laughs> yeah, that is that's true. But philosophers are a famously contentious problem, so you sure. know it is a fifty-fifty dial or throw of the dice. But but it's only we'll only only against each other. We'll close ranks and and like slap the Sophia <laughs> out of anybody else's mouth. So you yeah first baited me in this, and then I listened to your episode in which y'all repeatedly acted like it was <laughs> foolish. For anyone to think there might be any point of disagreement here or that it was worth discussing. So I reached out for your standard right of reply that theoretically Decoding the Gurus allows. But because you'll have a strict rule against no philosophy on your podcast, uh, we are Uh, having that right of reply here, I guess. (laughs) Well, this is right. But the right of reply only exists for the people who are... The specific named persons. Directly targeted... Not entire fields like (laughs) meta-ethics. Yeah, only James Lindsay or mm-hmm, targeted, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. decoded people can can demand that. But the the other thing is that we are extremely inconsistent, Aaron, because you're going to really, really <laughs> hate the next interview episode. Because Matt wanted to interview a neuroscientist called Kevin Mitchell, who's written okay. a book uh, kind of arguing for free will. Um, oh, God. From from uh, a, a kind of scientific genetic uh, perspective, uh, sounds awesome. <laughs> yeah, and I told Matt that we will end up talking about consciousness and determinism and whatnot because it's a big component of the book, and indeed we did. And I know it's going to upset. <laughs> it, it will definitely upset you a lot. So that in that case, I knew that was happening, but you can blame mm-hmm. Matt. Mm-hmm. I, okay. I enjoyed talking to Kevin. Uh, it was I, I enjoyed Kevin's book too, but that is, if that podcast doesn't count as like touching on philosophy, 
Yeah, I, I mean, don't it's know a what book those... about free will. You understand free will as a philosophical <laughs> topic. Yeah, yes, this is true. But but the way the book is, to be fair, it's primarily a book about like evolution and mm-hmm, agents. Mm-hmm, it, mm-hmm. It's mostly like adopting a very agent centric. It's like behave the opposite of Sapolsky. Right, exactly. He he was in a debate with Sapolsky, and he's taking the exact opposite position. Right, but sure. but, but yeah. It, a huge section of the book is just about like the biology of agents and evolution. So like that's the bit that I think appeals most to like Matt and me. Like okay. Matt, to be fair, kind of tuned out whenever talking about you know whether determinism is the you know is the nature of reality as supported by physics or not. That okay. yeah, here's so yeah. Fair enough. Well, I will maybe save trolling you about free will for uh, the <laughs> VIP. I'm glad you didn't hear that. I'm glad you no, didn't hear this we, yet. We got a whole <laughs> different part of the metaphysical, meta ethical realm to get you caught up on. So let, let's talk meta ethics because I'm deeply concerned, Chris, that your view about meta ethics is roughly equivalent to your friend Sam Harris's view, which is this is very boring and doesn't matter. Uh not entirely. Not entirely. Okay. Like, <laughs> so first of all, does so, metaethics matter, Chris? Should we argue about whether morality is real or not? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you okay. can argue about you can argue about anything. So, uh, like, should you? <laughs> should you? Should people be discussing like the philosophy of ethics and where ethics come from and stuff? Yeah, like I think that's a reasonable topic for people to be concerned with. The same thing, like if you ask me. Should people be concerned about, you know, the nature of humans and where they come from and stuff? Like, my, my broad answer mm-hmm. is yes. There are better and worse ways to do that. But yes, sure. it's a perfectly reasonable subject to be invested in. Yeah. And I would argue, personally, it's an important subject because your views on metaethics, I think, impact your views on normative ethics, your ethical motivational behaviors to some degrees, like... People will refer to metaethics as a justification for ignoring ethical claims at various points, for example. Yeah, I will concede one thing that might be relevant to this, that I feel I teach a course on moral psychology, right? And mm-hmm. so in so doing that, I ended up having to read <laughs> a bunch and, and uh, about the morality and psychology and philosophy and psychology and so on, but <laughs> which you would hope, right, <laughs> when you're teaching it. But the uh, I think that a lot of people in general don't have a, uh, a like a meta ethics or a philosophy in any coherent mm-hmm. sense because and I don't think that people necessarily need to have that to be you know functional people in the world but I I, I mean that actually having a consistent coherent philosophical meta ethics is actually rare for most people most people are kind of just applying a set of heuristics inconsistently and like not following any coherent broader like philosophical system of morality i think they're just they're just kind of mm-hmm. going by vibes and and so if they if you force them to kind of put certain values against different values or whatever inconsistencies emerge and i think that's the dominant way that most people do so philosophers are right if they point out that people have ill-considered views about meta ethics or their like personal philosophical or moral systems. I think that's really common. Right. Yeah, I would agree. And we should, you know, distinguish a little bit. Like, so 
you got meta ethics and normative ethics, right? Meta ethics is like, is morality real or did we make it up? The stuff that we're going to talk about a lot here. And then there's normative ethics, which is like, are the utilitarians correct? Or should we, you know, focus on care ethics or virtue ethics? And there's some fuzziness in that boundary, right? Some of mm. your your theories can be kind of both meta-ethical and normative, um, but they can also come apart. You could be, you know, a staunch realist about morality and fully disagree about the nature of that morality or or fully agree about the nature of morality while both agreeing that it's totally made up bullshit, right? Yeah, I, I think I imagine that it could be similar to how people can have different views about determinism mm -hmm. and free will and have attempted to combine those two things together. And various people say you can't, right? Like th there's incoherences in like being a, a strong determinist and believing in free will, but there are compatibilists and people have, have tried whatever uh, your personal <laughs> opinion of them is. So, <laughs> They've certainly tried. <laughs> yeah. So I, I just mean that like, I can see that point from there that you, mm -hmm. you could have like a, a particular meta ethics and then the actual application could be very different between different people right like yeah. even if you had the same like broad meta ethics so that makes sense to me as a yeah and i also just wanted to clarify it for folks who haven't spent a lot of time at your you know your different levels of ethics your lowest level being your applied level um so all of them can kind of come apart a little bit and and like you were mentioning inconsistencies i think there are inconsistencies at every level Right. And sometimes they, you know, in, inform inconsistencies at other levels. So, like, would you agree that all things being equal, it would be better to have a consistent meta ethics than an inconsistent one? Like, it probably will improve your behavior to some degree, maybe. It's probably difficult for me to conceive that because I have the fuzzy boundaries like that you just talked about with the meta ethics okay. and the applied ethics. So, like, I whenever I imagine somebody developing like an ethical philosophy or a view about morality i feel like it bleeds into the application in some respect and that mm -hmm. and because of my kind of approach to human cognition and the way that i see humans i i consider inconsistency to be a unavoidable aspect of the way that people are they will never be fully consistent because they're like imperfect okay but you'd want them to be more consistent than less right like take, take, take someone who's like radically inconsistent about their ethics like a thoroughly capricious caligula that seems bad right well yeah but i'm thinking about it more that you can push people in different circumstances to be utilitarian or deontological and you can regard that as them having like an inconsistent philosophical worldview or morality or you can view it that there were an evolved primate operating by a bunch of heuristics and in different circumstances, different kind of things are getting weighted. And it's not sure. them being wrong to do so. It's just that there's a bunch of like competing heuristics. Right. Whether they were wrong to do so would depend on like, do they cause a bunch of harm because they did so? Right. Did their, did their inconsistency lead to genocide, for example? Yeah, right. so I do agree there are better and worse moral systems, to be clear. And just to throw a little bit out there, I'm pluralistic about all of this at the normative level. I think that, like, it is both good to maximize utility and to respect people's rights. And sometimes those things are intention. And there might be, like, multiple right answers to how you should balance them. And then a bunch of wrong answers about how you should balance them. I guess I would... The only thing that I'm kind of pushing is you know the light enlightening round that you do mm -hmm. at the end of right, that right. episode i think is a really good illustration that even 
people that have fought things through. Sometimes actually the people are worse in that. Who Much have, worse. You know, <laughs> are, are like very, very concerned about contradicting themselves. But it's a really good example that like in some respects, it's very hard not to con- contradict themselves, especially when like doing it under time constraints and that kind of thing. So that that just strikes me as like, that's the thing I expect. So when I see it, I don't really regard it as like it's been worse. But I do agree that you can be more consistent and you could produce a more like coherent position. And I think like moral philosophers often strive to do that. Whether or not they apply it in their life is a different thing, but like they they do strive to make those systems. A lot of ethical arguments boil down to appeals to consistency. Take like maybe one of the most influential ethical arguments of all time, which would be the animal rights stuff from folks like Peter Singer arguably Mm -hmm. has pushed a lot of people's behavior towards vegetarianism and things like that, right? His argument boils down to, if you're going to treat X like this, and Y is basically the same thing, then you got to treat Y that way too. Like, it's just a basic appeal to consistency. Okay, yeah, yeah, I agree with that, but it rests on the premise that Mm -hmm. if you're going to treat X like that, right, or if you think that X deserves Y rights, so... Right. So this is all this is all setting the stakes, essentially, for like why I want to now bash you to death around the issue of like whether it's real. (laughs) Right. So is morality real? This is our question. right? We're going to do a a full on lightning round level episode here, because especially and I I genuinely mean this, you and the other anthropologists have a bit to answer for specifically around cultural relativism and metaethics. They do. Oh, you don't. Wait a minute. It no, sounded like you were agreeing with Harari that cultural relativism is basically true. So, look, Chris, let me ask you this. Is morality real and what is your meta-ethics? Uh, yeah, so, like, I can give you my elevator pitch about morality and you can tell me where I'm wrong, right? Okay, Because do it. My elevator pitch is that humans are social primates. We evolved, like, you know, all our life on Earth, but in particular, we're a branch on the social primate lineage. And so we live socially, like the name suggests, and we are concerned with detecting people that are going to harm us, identifying people that are reliable and trustworthy. And as many, many like cultural evolutionary people have pointed out, we're remarkably cooperative species, including with non-genetic kin. And it seems that we have psychological mechanisms that make us predisposed to being social and that we have cultural mechanisms that allow us to live in large groups without well there's a lot of violence but you know what i mean like compared to any other animal the right amount of violence we're we're doing pretty good (laughs) um acceptable levels yeah so in in that respect i i find that morality being the term that relates to what is good to do or what is bad to do usually at like base level that that often focuses around interactions with other humans and and animals in some respects but a lot of it is is like very human focused and a lot of it is based around codifying or or kind of like spelling out social rules and pro-social behavior and how to encourage it particularly for your in-group usually and the art group, you know, you should be concerned, but maybe less so. In any case, because we're social primates and because we need to leave, live socially, that we would be concerned about interacting with other humans strikes me as like 
something that is just almost tautological. So when Absolutely. we develop cultural systems that codify that, I I regard that as just like an an output of human culture and social living, but not something that if you were to wipe out humans, that you would see anywhere else unless you had a creature which also like kind of reached our level of sophistication because uh, you you can find analogs in other species where there's like proto morality concerns about fairness or these kind of things but that's that's kind of the point that other social primates displaying curves about fairness and stuff look to me as evidence that the building blocks of morality are in sociality and, and group living so when Harari is saying that things that we care about, democracies, democracy, human rights, or whatever, those are all derived from fictions. I am regarding that as him talking about the fact that we are a symbolic species that creates culture and that those things can still be very important, right? So like, again, wipe out human culture and you won't see any democracies and you won't see any money and you won't see morals mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or moral treatises at least but you you might see the beginnings of all those things as things become like more evolved there are i can imagine alien worlds where there are very you know different things going on but there are stuff that we would observe that is, is similar so so that's it so when he is saying that morality is a kind of fiction that it I don't take that as like a slight on morality mm -hmm. or, or rights. I just take it as saying that it is a product of human symbolic culture. And we should care about products of human symbolic culture because we are creatures that live completely immersed in, in culture. So that I probably rambled all over the place there and, and dragged in things. But that that's broadly my position. No, that's great. That is perfect because it's exactly the argument that I wrote my master's dissertation opposing so i would love to have this conversation with you on air uh so this is commonly attributed to sharon street what is called the evolutionary debunking argument for metaethic essentially that morality isn't real because we can fully explain our behaviors regarding it our understandings of it all of that stuff from an evolutionary perspective um and so that combined with the kind of inherent weirdness of of a moral realist position is enough to, for us to default in this view towards an evolutionary theory. Yeah. Can I raise a question? Just mm -hmm. so, like, when you, because when you say it's not real, right. like, I think you're using that term philosophically because, yeah. like, I regard morality as real as like anything. Right. So <laughs> I should I should say objective. So. So as you pointed out, right, the enlightening round tells us that like... Like independent from human minds? Yeah, let me back this up a little bit out of metaethics and into epistemology for just a second to see if we have some common ground to work with here. Chris, do you believe that there are objective truths in general? In meaning like objective as in... You tell me. <laughs> okay, I think there is reality, like things that exist and okay. that, that we can have contact with that uh, and humans can and discuss it, so... So yeah, I believe it's not just true for me that the universe is X billion years old. That, that that's like an objective fact, right? And right. and I think that humans are interacting with the same like physical 
reality. So so in those senses of objective things existing, yes, definitely. Okay, good. Right, so we have objective truth. I define this technically in terms of what Ross Schaefer Landau calls stance independence. So this is a claim that is true independent of any individual's beliefs about it. So the speed of light is true no matter what anyone thinks about the speed of light, right? I, I get caught up, which is probably like the thing that philosophers do with the word truth, though, because it feels like that relies on you having a subjective thing to describe things as like, you know, true. This is, this is probably a problem just because when you say objective reality, I'm like, sure, that exists. When you say objective truth, truth strikes me as something that requires a agent to say, okay. So this is the second question. Do we have access to objective knowledge, let's say? Can we have objective yes. truth, which is to say access to facts, objective facts about the world? Yes, this I'm more, I'm more comfortable with. Yes, we can access objective facts and that. It's just that the word truth, I think, is I'm, okay. I'm probably allergic to that in a capital P way. But yes, it's so yes, we can access facts about the, the world, which are true. Uh, right. regardless of who you are, your perspective. What anyone thinks about them, etc. Yeah. Yeah, right. that's, uh, yeah, I used the word true there in the other way. But anyway, never mind. We're inconsistent people. That's all right. No, 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 that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. Okay, so basically the argument that I run against the evolutionary debunking argument for metaethics is a partners in crime kind of argument, uh, which is to say, I agree with you that we have access to various kinds of objective truth. I think we have it despite and because of our evolutionary heritage, right? So take statistics, for example. Individual human beings, garbage at statistics, right? Like, even people who are trained in it, garbage statistics, right? Right, yeah. But we have methods, right? Peer-reviewed yes. systems by which we can gain access to the objective truth out there in the world, cognize it, put it to our benefits, that sort of thing, right? Science. I, right. I, yeah. So I think we do the exact same thing with ethics. I think ethics involves us getting a grab bag of understandings from evolution, which we have then used as social learning creatures to not just come up with what is the most useful for society, but to actually get closer to the objective moral truth. Mm. And so does that mean the crucial distinction for me? is that mm -hmm. when you talk about measuring objective things that exist out there through statistics or through maths, right? I can right. I can imagine those things out there that all humans die and we don't have the tools to measure them, but they're still there. So right. in your version, that is the same for morality. It is out yes. there in the universe, all humans die. And in that case, my, my kind of question is, where is it? It's hanging out with the speed of light and like the logical, you know, the identity of indiscernibles, right? So it's it's not a physical, it's not a physical object. You understand, right? It's a description of the universe. Okay, okay. So it's a it's a it's a statement about the universe that is true, independent of the existence of human beings. Right, but like that. So without humans in the world, light, uh, photons, mm -hmm. and whatnot is pinging around, right? At a given right, right. right. Yeah, but there's no one to describe it. So, and that right. we can, we, we're completely fine with. But you, so your position is without humans around, there are moral like facts. Yes. That are in the universe somewhere, and there's just nobody to describe it. But yeah. if something evolved, like a different species, a jellyfish species, 
they could equally with enough epistemic luck <laughs> tap into yeah, yeah like yeah kind of they would then be able to discover these properties of objective facts about morality so it would be kind right. of the same like if the jellyfish creatures evolved and they developed something like science they would also measure the speed of well ethics not science I don't know. I I mean that. Oh yes, the speed of light. Yes, they they'd measure the speed of light the same as us. Right. They would. They would. Yeah. So in the same way that they're gonna have the same math as us, the same logic as us, theoretically, or at least like their logics should be compatible with our logics or something. Things that are describing the same universe should be reconcilable. Yeah, that's where I think I would differ because I think the jellyfish people <laughs> would mm -hmm. end up recognizing the speed of light as the same. But their moral systems, I feel like, would be absolutely alien to us because they're jellyfish. And their biology and their sociality would be so completely alien that they could have, like, that it's perfectly morally correct for them to consume millions of whatever their offsprings are to, like, produce their polyps or whatever. But it, it, it wouldn't be the morality that would make sense for a social primate. So let me let me give you a concrete example to work with in the realm of like ethical truths that I think are objectively true for the jellyfish people. These are kind of um, similar to your moral foundations. I assume you had to read Height a bunch for your class. Um, I not only read Height, I've collected cross-cultural data on his scale. Well, there you go. Yes. Right. Uh, so, for example, there's a moral foundation that's associated with care. All things being equal, you ought to reduce unnecessary suffering. So if we understand what suffering is, I would argue it has a kind of to be avoidedness built into it, made it such that it is a mental state that if it exists, you should try to reduce it unless there's some significant moral reason not to. Right now, you know, because I'm a pluralist, I think all your moral foundations are going to be pro tanto, all things being equal in this way because they're going to be intention. But it doesn't mean that it will ever be false for any species or any entity that they should not all things being equal, reduce unnecessary suffering. Yeah, so the issue for me, and it, well, this is good because you have a science fiction show as well. Fuck yeah, I do. Philosophers <laughs> in space. <laughs> I can conceptually mm -hmm. imagine that there is another planet orbiting around the sun and things have come out and there's some weird hybrid system that has evolved, which is like half rock, half jellyfish spider creature, right? Sure. And whatever way the processes work. Adrian Tchaikovsky furiously scribbling this down as you go. Yep. <laughs> yeah, there. That in their biology, there's something that requires suffering. Of, ah. Or like to generate suffering to power things or whatever. And, okay. And to me... Necessary suffering is what you're getting at there. A scenario of necessary suffering. Well, yeah, I, I it's more that I just... I think even my attempt to conceptualize that would bastardize it because it could be just such an alien system that like, this is the, this is probably the key difference that I feel like I cannot transpose the things like heights, moral foundations onto that because it rests so much on a, the evolved biology that we experience here on earth. And particularly social primates. Well, when you say when you say that it rests on, this is where I want to I want to disagree with you because I think what you're actually saying is our understanding of it and our application of it to ourselves as an embodied species rests on our evolved nature. The moral truths themselves do not rest on our evolved nature, though they are givens that we come to understand if we're lucky because of our evolved nature. Uh, no. 
<laughs> yeah, that's the, that's the bit. So, okay, so why not? That's the bit I think we disagree on because I see not that we are tapping into the kind of moral principles exist, but rather they're emerging because of that. So the five moral foundations, or you know, a, another one that makes it even more explicit is there's a currently a kind of contender to the hype crown, right? Called morality is cooperation. I don't think you would like it. But it <laughs> it has seven foundations, but it casts them all as being concerns that are fundamentally about like cooperation, uh, working, uh-huh. living in cooperative societies. And it, so in that respect, if you're a social primate, uh, then sure, these things are foundational in the sense that it would be very difficult to create a society that functions without having these kind of principles or some variation thereof there. But that rests on that thing that you are a social primate that lives together if you're some kind of hive mind species you don't need that because you're just operating by pheromones set by the queen or whatever so you don't need the moral foundation so in that respect if we were ants i feel that the moral foundations would be different because they wouldn't be based on primate biology would they be different or or would we just not have access to some of them so so let me uh, again, to go to science fiction, right? You've got you know many examples of your bug species versus your human species, right? Your starships, yeah. troopers, your babaverse. Is it wrong for Starcraft. either species to try to just wipe out the other species in much the same way that it would be wrong for me to show up and try to wipe out another culture or another group of humans? No. Okay, why not? <laughs> like yeah it's wrong from the point of view of a human or a species right but it, okay it's so not it's not objectively wrong. wrong it's only subjectively wrong you would say yeah i would say it's it's wrong for what most humans would think or i hope most humans would feel inclined to but like in the sense that there is a a wrongness that we could appeal to out there in the stars i don't think so we could just argue that the aliens approach to things like that they just you know absorb things into the whatever and you mm-hmm. know like the a kind of borg hive mind thing we can say that that is immoral according to all the things that we care about and value but so in that respect in the galactic sense i am relativist in the opinion, yeah. but of course like personally I think the human system is much better, right? But like, you don't, I mean, like, how do you, how do you be a cultural relativist at the galactic scale, but not at the planetary scale? Like, how do you... Well, because we are all, yeah, because we are all social primates. Ah, but just because we're social primates, that doesn't instill in me an obligation to be the same kind of social primate as you. So, like, the Nazis were very social. They were very, very pro-social, right? <laughs> hugely pro-social within certain boundaries right right but like but they're they're prioritizing certain moral foundations right they think they're doing it right they think they're acting morally how do you convince them that they're wrong on your view yeah so i the pro the pro-sociality thing i i think i still would recoil at, at that description of the nazis for the fact that i think well then aren't you just stacking the deck uh ethically when you define pro-sociality then you're just you're just coding no, but, in your moral principles into the definition of prosociality. Right, but I feel like prosociality, at least as it's used in psychology, is like it's kind of layered with not being violent and degenerate and antisocial to like subsections of that that begs the question, right? Some people I mean, would argue yeah, that, but, like 
violence is good for culture. I agree. Uh, not not I agree <laughs> with that, but I, <laughs> right. I, in terms of personal values. But I mean, I agree. My reaction to the pro-social of the Nazis is the problem that I have the psychology like definition embedded, right? So that, mm-hmm. that's what I'm saying. The okay. My uh, objection arises from, but in, in terms of like, why not then say that, you know, colonialists had a different moral set and that's just Maybe slavery is good sometimes yeah 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 like if they if they dominated or that kind of thing and i think that because we are social primates humans are and that we share a biology and we share basic cognitive processes and all those kind of things that the this is a point that i agree with sam harrison that there is a uh, a kind of baseline of flourishing and things which humans enjoy more and that you can say that systems are better or worse equipped at delivering that now you could say that they're very good at delivering that to a smaller like to a specific population like you could have some enlightened dictatorship where it's it sure it needs to wipe out all the people that oppose it but in the end it's going to deliver you know the the beautiful society uh, and take like a utilitarian perspective on it i think you you can argue that like from utilitarian principles but i think in terms of judging morality whether you are fixated on like uh utilitarian or deontological principles is in for me i am not purely about utilitarian ultimate thing so if you could show me that some very very cruel despotic way to enslave all people would lead to overall higher utility. I wouldn't say that's a morally better system, right? But I do realize that all the people like could arrive at that conclusion. I just think the moral system is like is what it, it's Finish worse. That in, <laughs> yeah, yeah it, that the moral system is worse ethically because of this, like what it entails to get to where they want to get to, right? Like, so I'm not a strict utilitarian in the way that I approach ethics. But I do realize that utilitarian people could argue that that is the correct way to do it. And I think the issue is that because we are social primates and because we're, uh, morality is relating to these kind of aspects, that you can come up with like very theoretically advanced and, and like intellectualized justifications for particular moral systems that are logically coherent in the, if you accept all the premises. But in general, I think that they are doing a lot of like stacking of premises and that kind of thing. But, but I, I do agree that there are moral systems which are like more considerate of more people's pain and suffering and, and freedoms and so on. So in my assessment, those are the ones that are better because they're less despotic and entail less like restrictions and that kind of thing. So, okay. I, I realize like, I, I think that ultimately I end up kind of like grappling with the fact that I, I recognize we're all subjective. We're all ultimately, you know, saying I value this and you value that and so on. But I agree with the people that say, well, despite that subjectivity, it is the case that given that we're social primates, you can say certain systems are worse and better for 
a wider swath of people. And like the kind of Peter Singer argument, the ever-expanding moral circle seems to me to be an improvement in moral systems. The more people that we count within our in-group, because our basic primate-like psychology would have less people in that like kind of circle, right? In-groups and out-groups we create. So if we can culturally expand our in-group to be mm-hmm. like all of humanity and all species and all the galactic jellyfish aliens, that would be better, like a more, a like broader broadening of the moral sphere, right? Let's say that we weren't a pro-social species. Let's say that we were an AI that like becomes mm-hmm. sufficiently advanced that it can make, you know, actions, do things, engage in behaviors, but it didn't arise through our evolutionary methods should it reduce unnecessary suffering? By whose judgment? Well, so so here, here's the problem, I think. I feel like maybe what's going on, because I do I feel like you're wrestling some a little with like maybe what your own position is here. And it, I want to come back to this distinction between like what grounds a moral claim and how we have access to it, right? Mm. Like, I think we have access to the moral truth because we are pro-social creatures. But I don't think it's our pro-social nature that grounds what is, you know, like, so you said, you know, flir- it's better to promote flourishing, right? All things being equal, one ought to promote flourishing. That's the inverse principle of the reduced suffering one. And it sounds like you're on board with that. I think that's true even for non-prosocial creatures. All things being equal, we should promote the flourishing of species in our... We. But, like, all things being equal, other species should promote the flourishing of both pro-social and non-pro-social creatures, whether or not they themselves are pro-social creatures. So being a pro-social creature is not what instills in you a moral obligation. Understanding morality is what instills in you a moral obligation. So let's say I am a highly advanced AI that comes to Earth, and I can understand that humans are conscious, I can understand that they can suffer, I can understand what it is for a human to flourish or not, right? I believe that I therefore, because of that knowledge have an obligation not to nuke the planet. Yeah, so the issue that I spring to there is because we are humans, and, you know, like, uh, when you say pro-social species, <laughs> like, yes, with the caveats that it's usually directed at the in-group, right? But the... Uh, right. and and Tribal pro-social. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. A tribal pro... I feel more comfortable with that. But, but, so, the alien AI, like, of course I agree with you that because I share you know your i imagine a lot of moral intuitions are are very similar because we are both like liberal people living in the 21st century right isn't it that's that's where we are um, uh-huh. but the part that i find hard right in that scenario is you're asking me so outside you don't you think that that alien ai system has that our moral uh, intuitions would apply and are talking to like a, a truth that is out there in the universe and and I I can't make that leap because I'm kind of well I can't get beyond being a social primate that like morality always refers to these kind of uh, systems that we're talking about that interest social primates but a, a completely alien system that didn't grind itself on any of those things because I don't regard those as being out there in the universe, I kind of can imagine that it could have a completely alien concept of social relations. Not that it couldn't, but it shouldn't. So here's the thing. I agree with you 
that if it comes from that world, it likely will not share our values initially. But let's imagine that it is a advanced intelligence that like able to reason and can understand our concepts and our language and can communicate with us and stuff like that, right? As it yeah. comes to understand our morality, I think it would be forced if it was a reasonable entity to come to agree that it should not murder all the humans, even if its original evolved programming said there's nothing wrong with converting humans into base materials along with everything else on the planet. Yeah, I, I agree. It should reach those. Like, I'd like it to reach those uh, conclusions. But I. But no, it's I not feel... that I like it. It's that it should because it would be reasonable for it to come to those conclusions based on arguments. Yeah, but so I think the arguments that we would make would rest on our understanding of like sociality and like what is good and bad and that kind of thing. And that that is because of us being pro-social private. So that it, it... I don't think it is it, though. Like if I, if I explained to the AI, look, you have a kind of thing that's flourishing, right? If I shut you but, off... But what if it's flourishing? What if it was flourishing by doing the ex something that completely contradicted our like kind of ethical system? And it was flourishing much better. Then it would be just like any human beings that were involved in a disagreement about morality, like a, a competition about morality, right? They have to find a way to reconcile. Ethically, you know, it shouldn't be the case that just because... I need some more land. It's okay for me to kick those Jews off the land who are living there just because I really didn't need the land, buddy. You know, like that doesn't instill in me a freedom to do so. <laughs> right. And so like, I would have that conversation, you know, like this is like, I think a reasonable thing to say that just because, and it might be the case that like how I should treat the AI in the applied level is different than how it should treat me. Maybe it's like, I don't care if you murder me because I have infinite copies of me around the universe and like, it doesn't matter, right? But like, I'm a, you're a unique individual, so I shouldn't murder you, you unique individual there. But that's still underlying those reasonings is the same basic moral truths about the flourishing of individuals and such. I think that's where we diverge, right? Because like, the I see if I see if you agree with me here or we're I'm getting this wrong because the way that I think that I see morality right is that I agree with you about like that flourishing if you apply the kind of principles that we that we see from social species also all other species right that you <laughs> maybe I can't make that defense for all other species anyway like let's just assume we can at least social primates in, in general that you could make the case that these are bedrock things that like cooperation is better than like prolonged suffering and so on, right? That these are foundational, right? And that because of that, you you are able to make like in principle arguments about this is better, this is better. And I agree with that. I 100% agree with that. The bit which, where I think we end up disagreeing is that because I think morality is a product of evolution and the, the kind of social interactions and the culture that emerges from that when you ask me about like a completely alien society i'm imagining like an evolutionary process yes likely to make something emerge but with social rules that and an environment that i know i cannot imagine and from that i imagine that they could produce a set of rules and moral things that they regard as moral that is mm -hmm. completely at odds with our morality. And then when we meet up together, I'm imagining we have two sets of absolutely different moral systems 
but they're based on the fact that we are different kinds of things. And so if we say, well, but look, us being the kind of creatures we are, this is the way that works. We are right from our point of view, but from from their world, their morality could be completely alien, completely different. So I'm seeing morality as like the kind of product at the outcome. But I but as I understand what you're saying is that you mm-hmm. are not seeing it as a product. And that's why you're saying, well, but fundamentally, yeah. we're all drawing on the, the same thing. Mm-hmm. So they can't be moral and arrive at a completely alien set of ethics because it wouldn't it would be like arriving at a different number for how fast light is traveling, right? Yeah. So let me let me talk about two different kinds of disagreement, right? So there is one argument in, in metaethics, one of the most common arguments against moral realism classically is the argument from moral disagreement, which is basically like, if I'm Antifa and you're a Nazi and we both exist and we can't get together and converge, then that must prove that like morality can't be objective because... Otherwise, we would converge on the same truth eventually, right? Now, living in a land of flat earthers, I think we can agree that's a bad argument, (laughs) right? Um, But there's a separate question about, like, could it be possible that at the meta-ethical level, you just, you have two species with fundamentally different moral foundational truths, not normative how they treat each other, but, like, why they treat each other kinds of questions. So, like, take suffering and flourishing, right? Suffering is a thicker concept than pain. Mm. You know, it's a little bit more than just physical pain, right? Yep, yep. And similarly, flourishing is a little bit more than just happiness, right? It's yeah. it's a kind of growth towards something good or some authentic version of yourself or something like that, right? I would argue that we can talk about the flourishing of any species, whether they are pro-social or not. Is that right? Uh... Like a tree, yes. you can talk about the flourishing of a tree, right? Your bonsai tree. Right, but not in some terms of self-realizing. <laughs> we can't. Well, yeah, okay. Whatever you think about tree consciousness is a whole separate conversation. <laughs> but yeah, so you have, you could discuss, you know, your alien bug species on the foreign planet, right? And mm. like, let's say that their reproductive process involves torturing each other. So there's a bunch of suffering, mm. right? But it's necessary suffering because they need to reproduce, right? And so they accept it as part of the process of their world. But they're not working with something other than the concept of, like, suffering or something equivalent to it by a different name or something. And similarly, you know, when they raise their little bug creature children to try to have them, you know, have the best lives, they have some version of flourishing in their minds that they are trying to promote. But I I imagine, like, you know, you could have... That part of their evolution is that they parasitize another species and like make them purely <laughs> like compliant little worker drones. Slave and workers, the, yeah. The, yeah, and they they remove their like will, but that is the foundation of the way that their sociality evolves, such that maybe that species, even through you know billions of years of evolution, ends up that it's it's barely like a, an independent species anymore. And in, in that case, to us, it looks like a horrific, you know, enslavement, like the the absolute, like embodied slaves. Well, it's like domesticating are... cows, doesn't it? R- right. Yeah. But so in in that, yes, it does. Like in 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 that kind of way. But like, I mean, imagine just some absolute, even way worse layers of barbary, right. but that aren't recognized as that. But the uh, argument uh, would uh, the ar- so here's what would happen. Would be my argument, right? If that species progresses in terms Mm -hmm. of their understanding, right, 
or they come in contact with another species like ours and are reasonable creatures who want to understand and be ethical, right? They would eventually come to recognize that they need to treat their helot species better, right? Maybe they're so evolved, you know, to be a servant species that they can't live independently or whatever, but like you don't torture them anymore, right? So you have you have a kind of cultural revolution, right? You have an expanding of the moral community within their own planet, as it were. There's a, a sci-fi series, you will know it, Aaron, like Children of Time or something yeah. like that. Yeah, Adrian Chikovsky's Children of Time. Yeah, the spiders. Right. Yes. Yeah, and they have, like, they have an ant, um, yeah, they, they domesticate ants as their computer systems. Right. Yep. Now, so, the, the, you know, this is sort of, sort of similar scenario, but but in saying that, here here's one thing I felt when reading this, and this was like one of my main things that took me out of that story, was I felt that the writers, uh, it was a very good story, I really enjoyed it, and they did a good job, you know, describing like a potentially evolved society, spider society, mm-hmm. but in the end, they basically make the spiders into like eight-legged humans. They're very, their thought processes and their stuff that they're, like they start getting essentially gender equality concerns and stuff and i just think oh see i love that, that part of it because i think it's really good yeah, yeah. Oh no you for a lot of reasons right like i think what you see there is an evolutionary psychology approach to gender which says that like as species advance they probably develop some kinds of gender politics as pro-social yeah. creatures right like necessarily and as they get more advanced they they you know have more complex social politics yeah, this this absolutely highlights the fundamental difference that we have because I regarded that as completely undercutting the realism of it because I felt like it's projecting a human concern onto a species that wouldn't have that because of their fundamental different biology. Well, keep in mind, those spiders were infected with a pro-sociality virus. That yes, literally evolved them <laughs> to be pro-social virus <laughs> creatures. <laughs> this this is right. And, and more intelligent. So on your own view, that actually makes a lot of sense that they would develop our similar politics because we this made is, them like us. <laughs> in, in that specific scenario. But I basically felt like we're just <laughs> humans are just kind. I mean, I'm sure you know examples where they aren't, but from science fiction. But I feel like in general, humans are just just by our nature. We find it very hard to reason about right. things. Right, we anthropomorphize everything around us constantly. Yes, and and so and I think that like in my view of things, morality is a part of that. I find it very hard to because I'm <laughs> I'm a social primate too, so I do it. You know, I'm not saying that like I'm immune from this thing that people do. But you I, believe that we have objective truth about other things. So like when you do the like I'm a social primate, so I'm not I don't I'm not confident about making these claims objectively. I feel like it's very similar to the kind of like woke, you know, you can't trust science to give us objective knowledge because it's all culturally contained and whatnots, right? Like Yeah, but it doesn't so like the reason like science or maths or whatever, right? This is probably another bit that like the Harari figure <laughs> that like I regard them as Everything is contained in, you know, like human symbolic communication. That's just a given, right? So it's not that argument that because it's based on symbolic communication, it's contingent, right? Like that that we have to accept that because otherwise we can't be talking about anything. But we can be talking about things which are more contingent on like human society and sociality and things which are not, things which... If you wipe all humans out, they're still there. Well or not, you have the words to describe it. 
and things which, if you wipe out all humans, they're not there anymore. They're gone because they relied on human society to exist. Can you give some examples of the two different things? Democracy. Okay. So you mean like, you don't think it's likely that another evolved species would develop a democracy? It could have made culture. Like, if okay. it had a culture like ours. But like, without culture, there is no democracy. Right. Uh, yeah. Like, and so, but without, without culture, there is a speed of light. And there is a, a sun. Uh, so, so what I would say is, without culture, there are no existing democracies. But it is true that you probably want a democracy over uh, oligarchy, whether or not any currently exist, right? If you're a social primate, sure. <laughs> sure yeah. I mean, yeah. even if you're an anti-social primate, I still don't think you want to be oppressed by a group of, like, a select no, group I of just, people. <laughs> the issue is I don't think you have those systems if you don't have creatures like us. Like, okay. if you have a, a, a worm thing, you don't have worm allier. I don't know. Like, right. I... So there's another book that's actually um, does a similar version of this, which is Blindsight, because you have vampires in that book, which are not pro-social, but evolved humanoids and have sociopathic ethical tendencies, right? And have to, like, control their sociopathic ethical tendencies around human beings. But I would still argue that, like, they have an obligation to do so in the same way that I have an obligation to do so, even if, like... Let's say I'm a human being that's born a thoroughgoing antisocial personality disorder, right? Like, I'm not a pro-social creature. I would argue that sociopaths still have an obligation not to hurt other people, whether they understand it or not. Yes, I, I, I agree. They, uh, they have an obligation. But like, they're not pro-social uh, creatures. Well, yeah, it, but it, like with sociopaths, <laughs> it, it ends up. It's complicated, right? Because, like, you know, you can have sociopaths who, to varying degrees, there isn't, like, sociopath, non-sociopath, right? And there, there are... Right. So, yeah, like, but you were talking about somebody that basically recognizes their rules but doesn't feel any actual compunction to follow them, it, like, right. emotionally. They might recognize that they have to, but they, they don't feel in the same way that other people... So you, mm -hmm. even if they don't have those like intuitive things, they we should still right. treat them as people that are able to like exercise control and that kind of thing, right? But we right. do, we would recognize diminished responsibility in cases where it turns out that there's like a a strong biological element or brain disorder which caused someone to be less capable of extending empathy, right? In those cases, okay. we. You people typically do try to get more leniency. Let me let me take one more swing at this, and then I have to recreationally torture you. <laughs> uh, my my concern is your view makes it out to be that there are different meta ethics for every different species based on their mm. level of prosociality or something like that, rather than it being the case that there is one meta-ethics and then a bunch of different species that understand ethics differently depending on their level of moral evolved understanding. And I think that that rests on the assumption that meta-ethics is sort of subject-based rather than object-based in a sense, right? So, you know, a classic scenario of like torturing small animals, right? Uh, what makes it wrong to torture a small animal? It's wrong because they're sentient beings and it causes suffering to them. I think we're on the same page so far. Okay. Yeah. 
that's true whether or not the person doing the torturing is a pro-social creature or not, right? It, it, you can, you can have an antisocial creature torture a cat, no problem. Right, yes, from their perspective, yes, but from our perspective... Because we are, you're, you're oh, that's a moral not. I'm saying physically we can, we can have a scenario in which this occurs, right? Uh, but we I can think, have it occur, but, but the part where you said that. But you would, so you would say if I tortured a small animal, it's objectively immoral. But if the AI tortured the small animal, it is not objectively immoral. I only subjectively experience it as being immoral. It depends on what layer of objectivity you're talking about. If you mean, does the universe regard that as, is there a property of the universe that makes that immoral? No. If you mean, would most humans or, or most creatures like us that regard pro-social in the way that we understand it to mean, regard that act as antisocial and like immoral? Yes. So objective within that constraint, but not a property of the universe. So if you, if most pro-social creatures came to believe on your view that torturing puppies was moral, it would be? If the, I cannot conceive of it in terms of like creatures like us existing because in that... I mean, creatures like us still torture dogs and like have tortured them for much of human history... Yes, yes, so we can do, we can, so we, we can, can do that, do and it. we do, we, you know, like, pro-social creatures have no problem torturing other species. Right, right, but you're asking, but it's wrong, right? Yeah, so you're asking from my perspective, is it, is it wrong? No, 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 I, my, 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 what I'm trying to point out here is that, like, it seems to me it's just wrong, and, like, certain times in human history. It's wrong if you're, uh, if you are. Well, no, it's just, it's just wrong full stop, because you're causing suffering, right? If causing suffering to the animal is wrong, why does it matter who's causing the suffering for determining whether it's wrong or not? But you're appealing, so your appeal to wrongness, you're like, you're asking me to assign it to the universe, but you're appealing the human assessments of like right and wrong. So I agree. Well, no, yes, but I'm, that, I'm using like, human language to like tell you why it's wrong. <laughs> but like, the, like, like the, the reason it's wrong, like the best argument I can give is for you to like to point at it and be like, look, it's suffering. I agree. Yeah, but I... And, like, for you to cognize it's suffering directly, right? Yes, and, and like, I, so, I, so let, me, let me make one more point here. The reason I think there is rightness and wrongness in the universe is because consciousness exists in the universe. And I know you're going to hate that. But, like, I think you I and like I agree... Consciousness. You, right, consciousness <laughs> exists, right? We are conscious beings. We live in the universe. Consciousness exists, yes. Right. So my suffering is a part of the universe, right? Your suffering is a part of the universe, yes. Or right. the puppy suffering. It's all, right. like, it's all material stuff. And that suffering is morally, I would say, value-laden, right? It has to be avoidedness built into it. Not for anybody, I just by its nature as suffering. Right, so but that bit... If I'm suffering, it's bad. So that bit... For just just, just simplicator. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that, that bit is the, the bit that I think rests on the extrapolation because like if you have little amoebas bouncing around in a Petri dish, right? And they, yes, as agents, they don't want to be consumed by the bigger amoeba or whatever, right? So right. we look at it and say, oh, that from that perspective... It's bad for that thing to get eaten, right? Yes. Like the processes of life want to avoid that. But without humans there saying that, well, that is a, like a moral judgment of, of like morality. I think it doesn't make sense because there 
it's a it's like an it is a more baseline avoid harm drive and morality to me gets layered on top of that it is not the bedrock from which that emerges so the fact that you want to avoid being eaten and pain and suffering and so on and you want to procreate and not have like a, a nice thing eat enough food that you don't starve to death and so on that's all derived from biological imperatives and the social aspect of creatures coming together in order to enable their lives to be more protected, right? Less chance of getting eaten, more potential partners to mate with, all those kind of things. Those are coming from the baseline processes of avoid being eaten and pass on genetic material and so on. But it, it's that, like I view society and culture as putting the morality on top of those processes, as opposed to it being the the morality is the bedrock from which like we discover that, <laughs> if it makes sense. But it seems to be more like those are the ladder, the, the famous quote is we climb the ladder of evolution and then kick it away in a sense. So like, yes, evolution and culture got us started in these processes, but then reason and understanding take us beyond those in a way that helps us really discover objective moral truths. That's, uh, I mean, like to go beyond, yeah, yeah, to go yeah. beyond just Maybe what is enough. good for humans and, and to talk about like, what is the good or like talk about what you owe to other entities, not just human entities or things like that. Yes. So on that point, I'm on board with you that like, because we, we kind of, you know, we are pro social creatures or whatever, but, and we develop cumulative culture, but now cumulative culture has, AI and the internet and various things, right? And and trying to weave adaptive stories is to to all of that is often bad evolutionary psychology. So like mm -hmm. yes, we can now go beyond being restricted to just biological impulses. We still need to eat and stuff, but you know, who knows <laughs> how long right. for. But in that respect, yes, I think given our environment and given the evolutionary processes and our cultural evolution. We can now reach a point where we are applying ethical principles outside the boundaries and in a, in a more like consistent way than has ever been the case previously. And that it is not all subjective in terms of, well, it, it, somebody could just say that would be better to play that we burn all the other creatures to death and that would be right. a good moral system. It is, it is good that we expand the moral community, that, that we reduce our in-group, out-group bias. I would say objectively, not not just because it produces more utils of happiness for human beings or something, but because like, you know, you create less suffering for animals, right? You, there's lots of reasons to do that, objective ones. So that's why I'm not a cultural relativist. That's why I'm not with the other cultural anthropologists in saying everybody is entitled to make, you know, the, the, I mean, they are <laughs> entitled to make their own judgments and values or whatever. But I think we as societies, as people, as human species, we should strive to develop better ethical systems and to apply things like uh, more consistently and broader, right? And then in, in that respect, I, I do think you can say this society is has less women right, women's rights than another. This society is inducing, like, is more okay with slavery, whatever the case might be, right? Or police mm -hmm. violence or what, whatever the case is. And I'm not saying... That's an exact science. I'm just saying, right. I, I think we can agree North Korea is a worse place to live than America for the vast majority of the populations there. So in that respect, I got no issue with everything that you're saying. It's just that 
I feel like there's an extra leap there where what I want to say with that is that we are discovering ethical principles that mm-hmm. that we can apply and can reduce suffering for other species that don't share those ethical principles, can't even comprehend them. But we, right. we couldn't extend it and make the better. So in that sense, if you say, well, less suffering is more ethical, ergo, we can expand the or reduce the amount of suffering in as far as we can. And that would be better. But I think that the bit where I can't go with you, like the boundary for me, is that I think that still rests on our intuitions as like social primates and that we want to be cooperative species in a particular way, in a particular environment. And our evolution has meant that that is how we interact with each other and then extending those intuitions to other species. But I can imagine that in different environments, in different contexts, that you would produce a different kind of morality and that mm-hmm. in that system, yeah. it, it, that the, the principles would be different. So it, I like, think we agree on moral psychology. I think it's just that we disagree about... So like, you know, the equal right to vote wasn't something that we invented. It was something that we discovered, you know, like... Or the equal right to... Yeah, because I, I think we invented it. <laughs> well, in the sense that what I would say is... If you understand human being, if you understand consciousness, if you understand flourishing, right? Flourishing requires equal rights, it seems like. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, Right, it's, so it's not that we discover, or it doesn't, it's not that we decided that equal rights is good. It's we discovered that equal rights is good through moral reasoning. I think there's a, a semantic, <laughs> like a, a, a subtle insertion there of the conclusion because... I would say that we we invented the concept of like representation and democracy sure. and, and so on. And that given those systems, the better flourishing for everyone is that more people are enfranchised, right? And that follows right. But whatever logically. system you had, equal rights would still be better flourishing, produce more flourishing for everyone. For more people but but it relies on that thing about that we have developed systems of okay like democracy and that we care about those kind of things so i i don't know it does feel a little bit like maybe it's actually i again think that we probably do agree on a surprisingly large amount we're not cultural relativists we do agree about like that you can apply that there are standards that you can appeal to which are true regardless of your your kind of like cultural uh mm-hmm, setting mm-hmm, right mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. but it, it's whenever you get into like the cosmic and like I, what i would say the more abstract metaphics part that the argument from queerness you just can't handle the queerness of it <laughs> it's, too <laughs> yeah, weird, I, it's too weird for you right because you keep thinking that they're objects they're just descriptions of the universe like the physical laws they just can't be measured by science the way i see it is that you are on uh, that you can't handle the weirdness of oh I, the, I love the weirdness uh, <laughs> well but that, yeah but like from my you know that this is like probably a Sith and a Jedi talking from my point of view you guys oh, but in that case one of them is wrong right but uh, yeah. in in this case I find that the notion that there could be absolutely bizarre fucking tentacle horror morality out there in the universe and that that is morality 
that it's not morality that a human would recognize as morality, but it could be a moral system within that environment to be fine. But you say, no, that is thought, not I, possible. Well, if it's moral, it has to be like what we see here. I just think, the, I just think it's, it's building blocks are still going to be the same concepts, the same moral claims of sorts. It may have the opposite views on all of them, but it doesn't, you know, have a different language of morality than we do. Yeah, that's right. So the gear, in my, my thing, it, right. could, it could. So, yeah. Okay, so we've got a report of fundamental disagreement there, uh, which I think is great. Um, and now we've gone along, which has been fun, um, but I'm going to torture you and then get some bonus content for patrons. Uh, so this is, as you know, the enlightening round. Enlightenment comes from within. For folks who are not familiar, I'm going to give you a list of things and you're going to tell me are these things real or not real. And after all that shit talking, I assume you're going to be really good at this. So No, Aaron, I refuse to do this because it depends what you mean by real and the, each context. Like, I'll explain for each one uh. how I, I realize you're trying to catch. No, that's fine. <laughs> I'm mostly just trying, yeah, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to get you canceled. We're here for that. All right. First of all, even though you're not a philosopher, let me just check. Are there things in the universe that are real, Chris? Yes. Yes. Okay, great. Let's find out what's real. Are bodies real? Yeah. Okay. Minds, real or not real? Yeah. Okay. Souls? No. Free will? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, good choice. Uh, we're going to talk about that in a second. Luck, real or not real? Yeah. Okay. Ghosts? No. Aliens? Y yeah. <laughs> Truth? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Good. After a lot of talking. Uh, beauty? Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> oh, no. What a swerve. What a swerve. Uh, justice? Yeah. All yeah. right. <laughs> yeah. yeah Did we yeah, will yeah. it into existence <laughs> there, Chris? Depends what you mean by real, but yes. Okay, yes, yes. All right, you survived. How do you feel? That's it. That's right. That's, uh, fuck. And I hate that. I remember now that it makes you, like, start using it and, like, you know, is it is it possible that the aliens exist? Yes. And then, yeah, anyway, you know, it's designed to <laughs> yeah. do that, but it's so yeah. annoying because you're like, well, it's not real in the same way that that thing is. <laughs> Human language. What a bitch. <laughs> what, a, what a fucker. Uh, yeah. And thanks you for acknowledging that you're a dualist. I appreciate that. Um, I'm not. I am not. I am not. <laughs> it just. <laughs> <laughs> They're just both real. <laughs> Sure. Uh, yeah, it's just I'm using real in different different ways. That's the problem. Mm -hmm. All justice, right, justice doesn't ex exist in the universe. It just, but it is real in human societies. That's the thing. I appreciate you consenting to this totally pointless recreational suffering, and thereby making it ethical, objectively so. <laughs> yeah. So thank you for doing that, and we can talk some more about that in the VIP segment for folks who are not going to join us. Do you want to let them know where they can find you torturing other people instead of the other way around? Yes, you can listen to Decoding the Gurus. Or if you want some non-philosophical stuff, I have a Google Scholar page with other 
kind of work. But yes, I try to not talk about philosophy that much for the obvious reasons <laughs> that people will have heard. But um, yeah, most of my stuff is more about psychology and uh, gurus. So yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much, Chris. It is always fun to torture you. I very much appreciate it. I, I enjoyed it. Good, good. I'm glad. Um, and if folks want to hear some more of your suffering, come join us over at patreon.com slash embrace the void. Um, and if not, uh, we'll talk to you soon. As a human, I was ill-equipped to thank you. But as myself, you have my everlasting gratitude. Thanks again to our listeners and patrons who make the show possible. Thanks to our newest monthly voidling, Pure Tumenin. That's probably wrong. Very wrong. I apologize. Uh, I'd like to thank our top tier patrons, our Archon level patrons, Void Pilled Eldrick Farmer, Alex Beneshek, Serious Inquiries Only, Lawrence Shielding, Fix the Vote, and Grumble Grumble, and all the thanks to our Archduke level patron, Big Easy Blasphemy. I'd also like to give a huge shout out to our new editor, Adam Wick, who's doing a great job. If you'd like to support the show, please check out my other show, Philosophers in Space, with my co-host Callie Wright of the Queer Splaining Podcast. Leave them all a five-star rating and a review on your podcast app. You can also join us at the Philosophers in Space slash Embrace the Void Facebook group or email me at voidpod at gmail.com. And if you notice a small void growing within you, consider supporting us financially at patreon.com slash embrace the void. Just $4 a month gets you early access to episodes and bonus VIP content. Most of all, whether you're a pro-social creature or not, you are the void, and the void is you.